following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Most of you, like me, have some scars, right? We got some scars. I've got uh, several. Uh, the, the most notable one I have on my leg from when I was a, a little kid and I was flipping down off of our jungle gym and I caught my leg on a bolt that was sticking out and ripped my leg open. Um, the only time I was taken to get stitches in my life, every other time my mom just slapped a Band-Aid on me. He's like, you'll be fine. Right, but this time she looked at it and she said, no, 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 we're getting stitches in that thing. And they stitch it up and that's the worst scar that I have on my body is when I let the doctor do the work. There's a whole other thing we can go into on that. But, um, but we, all, we all have scars. Maybe you have it from... I don't know, maybe you got hurt doing something. Maybe you did something dumb. I've got some from doing dumb things that I'm not going to tell you about right now. That's for some other time. But scars on our body, scars are this, this indelible impression of some experience we have, right? When you look at your scars, you go, I remember that. And you can think through what happened. You can think through where you were. You remember that. They're this indelible mark and they change the appearance of the skin, And we also understand that the deeper the scar, the deeper the change, right? Very surfacely, you just scrape your hand or something, you might have a a scab or a scar for a little while, but that goes away, but you get something deep, it sticks around, maybe for the rest of your life. See, last week we talked about the deep waters of faith in Jesus. We talked about how our calling, our unity, and our blessing is found in Jesus Christ alone. And when we see and engage in these deep waters, what we understand is that like a scar that changes the skin, when we go deep into faith, it changes our lives. It changes the way we look, the way we act, the way we feel. It changes who we are. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, does your life hold the evident impression of an encounter with the deep waters? of Jesus Christ. As you're thinking about that, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And this passage today, verse 3 through 8, in the the Greek text is one sentence. Everything Paul writes here is one sentence. And in it, he's talking about his his gratitude, why he's thankful for the, the Colossian church. And as we go through this and we read this, we're going to see that Every one of his reasons for being thankful comes back to this one point. He's thankful that they are living out the gospel by putting Christ at the center of their lives. They are continually and constantly living out the gospel. And through this, we're going to see three characteristics by which we can assess our lives to decide whether we are truly living out the gospel with Christ at the center of our lives. I'm going to tell you right up front, this isn't a, a, a nice, happy, feel-good message necessarily. Okay, this is going to be a little challenging for us because this requires us some, some self-reflection. Do we carry these characteristics that Paul points out in the faithful believers in Colossae? And the first characteristic that he points out is in verse 3 through the first half of verse five, where he talks about a gospel foundation. A gospel foundation. Colossians chapter one, 
verse three through the first half of verse five says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. A gospel foundation. Paul prays with gratitude for the Colossians' solid foundation. On what is that foundation based? Three words that Paul brings up here. Maybe you you catch them as you look at that. The three words are faith, love, and hope. The gospel foundation of faith, love, and hope. And and you hear that, and most of you, your minds immediately go to the, the connection to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 13, where he says, he's just been talking about Christ-like love towards one another. And he says, and these three remain, right? What are they? Faith, hope, and love. Huh. Looks familiar, doesn't it? He says a very similar thing if you study the book of 1 Thessalonians. He comments on the, the church in Thessalonica and their faith, their hope, and their love. Paul understands the foundation of the gospel. And he looks at the Colossians. He says, you guys are living this out. Right? You are displaying your faith in Jesus. Right? He says this is the, the trust and the acceptance of the truth of the gospel. He says your faith is in Jesus. It's not in you. It's not in what you have to bring to the table. He says it's in Jesus. You know who he is. You know he is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the redeemer. You trust in that. And that sets the stage for everything else. He says this faith in Jesus then plays out in their love for others. Their faith is displayed in their love for the other believers. Paul looks at them and he goes, your foundation of faith, it's not just a bunch of head knowledge. He says, you you haven't just read the, the scrolls. He says, you haven't just heard this message and gone, okay, that's great, I got that. He says, but, but you have a life-changing faith that yields a love for those around you. So this faith in Jesus that brings about a love for others that comes from a hope of heaven. He says, this comes from the, the hope of heaven. Well, what's a, the hope of heaven? Right, is it that if we're really good, when we die, we'll get to go to heaven? We're pretty sure we're good enough. We've done a nice, enough nice stuff. Hope, let's hope for heaven. No. This is the certainty of God's deliverance. He says, you church, you hold to the certainty of God's deliverance, regardless of the situation around you. Remember, we talked last week about the situation happening here in this city, in this out-of-the-way city that had no real significance, where the church was being pressed in on every side by false teachings. And with everything they see, they continue in their faith by loving one another. Why? Because they have the certainty of this hope in heaven, a certainty of God's deliverance, regardless of the situation around them. See, the basis for a faithful life, what Paul sees as this foundation, comes back to their understanding of Jesus Christ and of the gospel. 
They understand God's love for them. They understand the rejection in their own hearts and in their ancestors going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. They understand how they have rejected God's love over and over again. They understand how God should just walk away from from them. They understand how God, instead of walking away, sent his son Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the perfect lamb who could take away sin. They understood that Jesus lived perfectly, that he died sacrificially, and that he rose victoriously to deliver them completely. They understand who Jesus is. They understand the gospel, and this is the foundation in their lives. It's this foundation in our lives. Because this is what separates the Christian life from every other life of religion on this planet is that we understand that Jesus is the one and only means of salvation. Amen. Amen. Right? Because it's really, you'll hear lots of people go, well, Jesus, yeah, that's fine. Believe in Jesus. He's one of many ways to God, right? Which is ridiculous. Because the one thing Jesus can't be is one of many ways to God. Because we remember what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is one of many ways to God, then Jesus is exactly who he says he is. If Jesus is only one of many ways to God, then Jesus is a liar. Because he said, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the one thing Jesus can't be is one of many ways to God. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, those who understand, who trust the gospel, who have the foundation of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness in our lives, we are set apart because of who Jesus is. We have a solid foundation. Because if the the gospel is our foundation, then our faith, our hope, and our love are always going to be a reflection of who he is and what he has done. And we'll always point others back to Jesus Christ. This is part of our calling that we talked about last week. Remember we talked about last week that our calling is different than our vocation? Our calling is to know Christ and to make him known to be apostles, ones sent with a message by the divine authority of our God to make Jesus Christ known. But that only has meaning, that only carries weight when we understand that Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our lives and that everything else must be built upon that. And so the The question is, do we we like the gospel and keep it as a a part of our lives? Do we keep it where it's comfortable, safe, where it tells us the stuff we like to hear? Or is it the foundation for everything in our lives? The Colossians' faith was built upon a gospel foundation. But Paul continues here. He says, not only did they carry a gospel foundation, but they sought a gospel multiplication. 
A gospel multiplication, second half of verse five through verse six. It says, you have already heard about this hope. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. What is it that Paul says the gospel has done in Colossae and through the church? He says the gospel's taken three actions. The gospel's taken three actions. First, he says, it's come to you. Notice the passive nature of this. This is not about how good the Colossians are. This is not about how worthy they are of the gospel. This is about God's love and grace, right? The undeserved gift coming to them by God's will, by God's offering through Jesus Christ. Paul says that the gospel has come to you. What did it do when it came? It was bearing fruit and growing. Paul says the the message of the gospel, it bears fruit and it grows. See, the message of the gospel changes hearts and lives as God allows those whose hearts and lives have been changed to share the truth that changed their hearts and lives. You follow that? It grows and it bears fruit. Where does it do this? All over the world. Paul says it's doing this all over the world just as it has in you. What he's telling them is he goes, hey, remember, there's no region for the gospel. There's no safe space for gospel growth. God's truth is powerful in every corner of his creation. Because Jesus is the king of all of creation. This has been clear through the whole story of scripture. When we go back to Genesis 1, right? God creates what heaven and earth, every aspect of creation. When you get into the the prophets like Zechariah, Zechariah who spends his, his whole prophetic book warning the Israelites telling them of of what's going to come. And then he looks ahead to when the Messiah will come, when the Messiah will turn, when the Messiah will rule. And in Zechariah 14, verse 8 and 9, he says, on that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it towards the Eastern Sea, the other half towards the Western Sea, in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. The Lord alone and his name alone. Who else does that leave to be a part of ruling over all of creation? Nobody. It is Christ alone, his name alone. And then you get into the book of Revelation and God gives John this picture in Revelation 19, where he's talking about the the rider on the white horse. This is Jesus' return. He says, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's above a king of kings and Lord of lords? Again, the answer is nobody. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. See, a a true life of faith understands the gift of the gospel 
sees it grow and bear fruit and looks to see that grow and bear fruit everywhere God sends them. A true life of faith shares that faith to see the fruit of God's spirit multiplied. Okay, here's where I'm, I'm gonna get really hard on us, okay? But don't feel too bad because I'm talking to me too. Okay, I'm gonna put myself squarely at the center here. Why do most of us, and again, I include myself in this 100%. Why do most of us shrink back from sharing our faith? Why do we shrink away from evangelism? We could come up with all kinds of answers, but you want me to give you the, the true answer? The heart of the answer? It's because we doubt the power of the gospel. We don't share our faith because we doubt the power of the gospel. Now, we would never say it that way. I would never say it that way. When God gives me opportunity, I'm like, eh, not this time, God. I would never say it's because I doubt the power of the gospel. But the truth is, I doubt the power of the gospel in that moment. See, because we like Jesus' forgiveness. We like his redemption. We like the nice things. But in those moments, we're more concerned with our comfort or we're more concerned with the perceptions that others might have of us than we are about the power, the joy, the beauty, and the redemption that the gospel offers. A faithful life, a life of the, the deep waters of Jesus is marked by such a deep love and appreciation for Jesus that, that we can't help but share it with others. In Matthew 7, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. He says a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. What he says is what you believe is what you will do. So do we truly believe in the truth and the beauty of the gospel? Right, if I told you how much I love my wife, like I love Erin, she's the best. She's awesome, she's incredible. And I will, I will tell you that. But then if in the same breath, I said, but I don't really wanna talk about her. And I don't wanna hold her hand or be seen in public with her. And I don't really want you to know what I truly think of her. Okay, now what do you think I actually think of Aaron. See, I can say I love her all I want. But talk is cheap. This was the gospel. Truly the foundation in our lives. Do we like to say it is, or is it truly? Right, and this, this doesn't mean, right, this doesn't mean that every one of us this afternoon needs to go find some gospel tracts and stand on the, the triangle uptown here and go, you're all sinners, you need to repent, wicked, evil people. Come talk to Jesus. Right? No, that, that's not what it means. It doesn't even mean that we all need to enter into some kind of vocational ministry. But what it means is when God gives us the opportunity through conversations with a friend, through an interaction with a, a waiter or a waitress, through uh, some kind of family struggle, do we lovingly offer the seeds of the gospel of Jesus, love, grace, and mercy? 
Or do we try to figure out what we want to do with the situation and prefer that instead? If you hear me say that and you're like, oh, that's a good question, I don't know. Let me give you a challenge for this week. Every day, this week, pray that God would give you an opportunity to share your faith. Pray very specifically. God, give me a conversation with someone where you very clearly let me know that I need to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to share with them how you have moved and worked in my life and how there is no way to you except through Jesus. I guarantee you pray that every day. I guarantee you'll have an opportunity this week. I don't make a lot of guarantees, but I'll make that one. God will give you opportunities. The question is, are we ready and willing to speak when the Holy Spirit urges us to speak? The Colossians gospel foundation brought about this gospel multiplication, which further encouraged in them the gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation. Verse 7 and 8. Paul finishes, again, remember, this is one sentence. So all of this is tied together. He says, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Paul turns their attention here and he goes, hey, remember the example that Epaphras left for you. This life that is an example of one that is marked by the deep waters of Jesus. And in it, he gives three characteristics of who Epaphras was as this model for the Colossian church. And the first is this, Epaphras taught the gospel. Right? He shared the gospel. He taught it. They say, you learned this, right? What is this? This is the gospel message, right? This is the message of God's grace that is bearing fruit and multiplying all over the world. It says, you learned this from Epaphras, which means Epaphras taught it. Second, Epaphras was faithful. He was faithful to, to Christ. He was consistent in his teaching and in his life. Faithfulness, as, as Epaphras showed them, right? As a dearly loved fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ. Faithfulness is, a, is being true to one's commitments and convictions. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, Paul talks about uh, some of his ministry interactions with, with Peter. Right? Peter, disciple, apostle. And we get this story of some conflict that came up between the two of them. And Paul writes this in Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14. When, when Cephas, and that's, that's another name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, He withdrew and separated himself because he feared those of the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, what's that have to do with being faithful? What did Peter do here? He was eating with one group of people, and when some other people came, he went and ate with them. Is that a sin? Just surface level, is that a sin? No. No. Peter's actions were not necessarily sinful in the action itself. What caused it to be sinful? Because he wasn't faithful in what he taught and what he did. See, he had taught the people in Christ alone. He had taught them that it's all about Jesus. But when push came to shove, he leaned into the law. He said, well, these guys might not like the fact that I'm eating with these people. So I'm going to yield to this. He taught Christ alone. He lived the law. There was an inconsistency in his life and in his teaching. Epaphras held no such inconsistency. He was faithful to the fact that he taught the gospel and he lived it. So Epaphras taught the gospel. Epaphras was faithful. Third, Epaphras was encouraging. Epaphras was encouraging. Right? His time in the church, he had built up the church. He had helped these people grow and mature in their faith. But not only that, he was proud. He was proud to tell Paul of their faith. Right? Paul says, Paul says, uh, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Epaphras sought ways to build up the believers, to build up the church. See, a gospel proclamation is about more than just sharing our faith. Okay, it is absolutely that. When we talk about proclaiming the gospel, we're talking about taking the truth of Jesus Christ to those who are lost, hurting broken, who need Jesus. But it's also about how the gospel transforms our lives and directs us to live out our faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We should share the gospel with non-believers, but that doesn't mean that we get to ignore the body of Christ or that we get to live as, as bitter, angry people who are judgmental, who are unwilling to forgive, who are unwilling to encourage and build others up. Right? Because if that's the way we live with brothers and sisters in Christ, it makes no difference what you tell people outside the church. Your message is pointless because the way you live says something very different. This is where it gets hard, isn't it? As hard as it is to share our faith outside the walls of the church, isn't it hard, harder still to say, I'm going to let my life reflect that truth with every person I come in contact with, in every conversation? How's that, how's that look for us? What's it look for us to live that gospel proclamation? We'll take stock this week. Right? Here's some questions for you to ask yourselves as you go through this week. We can be asking ourselves as we go through this week. When we speak to others, when we're having conversations, are we listening, trying to understand 
trying to learn how they really feel, where that comes from, what that means in their lives? Or do we get in conversations and just listen for the opening for us to talk? Listen for the chance for me to tell you what I really think. Is the bulk of our speech, whether it's face-to-face or online, is it positive and grace-filled? Or is it critical, condemning, judgmental? I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm yet to hear of any person. I'm yet to hear of any person who by some snarky Christian meme has been turned to Christ. Hasn't happened and it won't happen. Do we serve, whether it's at work, at home, in the church, We serve in ways that point to God's kingdom, mercy, and love? Or do we do only what we have to do in order to promote our own tiny little earthly kingdoms of power and authority? Whatever we can grab a hold of. In short, do we proclaim the gospel not only with a, a recitation of speech about who God is, but with a demonstration of a life that has been changed by the deep waters of faith in Jesus Christ. It's easy to splash in the shallow waters of the Christian faith. It's easy to come to church on Sunday. It's easy to listen to a sermon or sing some songs. It's easy to pray before a meal or before bedtime. It's even relatively easy to learn some theology or memorize some Bible verses. It's really easy to know about Jesus. It's really easy to know about Jesus and never truly encounter him. But when we dive into the deep waters of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot remain the same. It is an impossibility. When we dive into the deep waters, we are marked by the truth of the gospel, which builds a solid foundation and leads us to a joyful multiplication through our actions of constant and consistent proclamation of the truth of God and the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we never be content with playing church or with knowing the Sunday school answers. Instead, may we be a people who are marked by the deep waters of knowing Jesus. Let us walk by faith into the sometimes uncomfortable truths of growth and change so that we might be aligned in all that we think, all that we do, and all that we say with the the truth of God's word with the beauty of his willingness. With the beauty of his willingness to call us to live as disciples of Jesus. And with the mission of an apostle 
who operates under the power of his Holy Spirit. In this way, may we grow, mature, and bear fruit for the kingdom of our good, holy, and perfect God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, you're so good. We are grateful to be called your children. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. This, by human standards, unlikely redemption. Where you took us as the unlovable and chose to love us. Not, again, not because of who we are. Not because of what we bring to the table, but because of who you are. Because of a love that, when we are brutally honest, makes no earthly sense whatsoever. But a love which we celebrate and rejoice in. And so, Lord, as we look at our lives this week, may we be challenged to to truly examine ourselves. Have we, have we allowed ourselves maybe, maybe to walk through the motions of the Christian faith and, and never really take seriously your call to, to follow Jesus? Maybe we took that call at one time, but we've just gotten a little comfortable, a little complacent. And we have allowed ourselves to slack off a little bit. Maybe we continue to seek you and continue to to yearn for the truth of who you are, to be changed. Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, we simply ask that you would do your work in us. We repent of the things we have held on to. We repent of the, the ways we have turned from you. We thank you that your forgiveness is greater than our sin. And we pray that you would mold us, you would shape us, you would form us into the men and women that you have created us to be so that we can proclaim your goodness, so that we can point others to your kingdom, so that we can share this joy and this hope and this peace that we know that comes from nothing in creation but only from our creator. God, may we be your church. And while that's a a sometimes difficult road to travel, we thank you for the glory that we get to know when we travel it. Lord, we love you. Thank you. And in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.